You guys ready to dive into the Bible? Turn with me to uh, Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, and we got some great stuff to look at today as we're going through this amazing book in our Relational Wealth series. I was driving my son to school, and I love the Bible app. We were just playing it on audio, and I never know what my kids were going to say, especially when they were younger, like, what's the thing that stuck out to you? But he said something very interesting. He goes, uh, Dad... What stuck out to me is the instructions or rules for how family members are supposed to treat each other, how husbands should treat wives, how wives should treat husbands, how kids should treat their parents. And I said, you know, son, it's interesting how much we need rules. And this is coming from a guy who does not love rules. Like, there's some, any rule followers, you're like, just tell me the rules, I'm going to follow it, I'm going to do it for me. And people are like, immediately raising their hand. Any non-rule followers out there? Yeah, that's all people's church right there. Um, I actually want to convince you that you really do appreciate rules. So how many people came to church in a vehicle today? How many people actually came? Let me see your hands. How many people came? Almost everyone. Uh, Don't you appreciate rules? Like, don't you appreciate that people drove on the right side of the road and not the left side when you were coming? Or how about this, that you had the, you kept that left, that that yellow line on your left and you didn't just swerve around that? Or I bet you were thankful when people actually stopped at the stop sign or stopped at a stoplight. I bet most of you obeyed the speed limit. Most of you, um, some of you, it's a speed suggestion. No, it's actually a a rule, but those rules, what they do is they keep us and our loved ones safe. And really, in life, we operate by rules. We have driving rules. We have rules in a game. I don't know if you've ever tried to play a game where no one knew the rules. It actually makes it not fun. But what I find is so oftentimes when it comes to relationships, we have no rules. And when it comes to relationships, we kind of live in this no-holes-barred, whatever-feels-right way. And it's no wonder that so many people get hurt in relationships. And so when we look at the first verse of the first chapter of Ruth, like we did last week, and if you missed last week, we're going to build on each week, so go back and listen. But verse 1 of Ruth 1 said, in the day the judges rule. And so Ruth is a transition book. It's a time when the judges were ruling over Israel, there's this really sad phrase when you look at the book of Judges. It's all over the book of Judges. It says, in the days of Judges rule, everyone did whatever they saw right in their own eyes. That, my friends, is a recipe for disaster. When a society only does right in their own eyes, it leads to the pain and hurt of many people. And so today we're going to look at relational rules from Ruth. Try to say that three times. Relational rules from Ruth. We're going to look at the relational rules in the book of Ruth because what we believe is that God wants to make us relationally wealthy. I was telling my son, you know, if, if you just did whatever you wanted any time with your finances, if you never saved, if you never worked hard, if you were just licentious, you could never build financial wealth. In the same way, there are rules that we need to follow, which in the end, God's intention is to prosper you relationally. So you guys ready to jump in? We're going to do something a little unusual in church. 
hopefully it won't be unusual for long, but we're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible. Do you think we can do it? So lean in as we read Ruth chapter 2. This is an awesome story. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, uh, Ruth the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So let me just catch us up. If you missed last week, the book of Ruth is about a woman named Naomi, and she moved with her husband. She had three sons. They moved during a time of famine from Israel to Moab. Tragically, Naomi's husband dies, and her son's uh, her, her uh, sons die, her two sons, excuse me, two sons die, and so she's left with just her daughter-in-law. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, I'm gonna go back with you to your land, your land of Israel. And so we find these two destitute women, two widow women, back in Israel, and that's where we, we find ourselves in this story. So she went out and entered a field to begin to glean behind the harvesters. So at the day, in this day, women could not have jobs. They could not have careers. So the only way that they can get food is basically if they beg or they go and follow along the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and she has remained here from morning until now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I don't have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave the orders, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from the bundle and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. She also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today and where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. 
the name of the man I work with today is Boaz. She said, the Lord bless him. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers, or another word is kinsman redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to clean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We're seeing a turn in the story from Ruth and Naomi being in destitute situations to things turning favorably for them. And we, we want to understand what's going on in this story. The thing you need to understand about the book of Ruth is every chapter will start with a description and then we'll move into a discussion between characters. So here's the descriptor first sentence. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. If you're taking notes or if you have your Bible app, underline a man of standing. A man of standing. The interesting thing about that man of standing phrase in the original language, in the Hebrew, is it's two Hebrew words, gabor and hayil. Gabor and hayil. Here's what Gabor means. It means this. It means strength or might. Here's what Hayil means. It means strength or might. Basically, this phrase would say, he was a man of strength and might, strength and might. But the cool thing about it is there were two different types of strength or might. The word Gabor was strength of might of character. Boaz was a man who was strong and mighty. There's a lot of people that are strong and mighty with muscles, but he was a strong and mighty man of character, of noble character. But he was also a man who had Hayel, which is strength of might, of resources. That could be finances. That could be an army. Here's what you need to know. The book of Ruth is not just instructions of an ancient story. It's also prophetic. You see, every book in the Bible points to Jesus. And Boaz is a prophetic picture of a kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer. Boaz was a man who redeemed Ruth in a destitute situation. What you need to understand is you're not here on earth alone. God is sending you a redeemer, a redeemer full of strength and might, a man of strength and might, of character, Jesus will never mistreat you. He will never do anything defiling. He is always trustworthy, but he's also a man of strength and might, of resources. You're not left on your own. He will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing. Once we come to know Jesus, he transforms us to be like him to other people. So you have a Boaz in your life, but God makes you like Boaz to other people who are in need. Let's move on to the first sentence of the discussion. It says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who, whose eyes I find favor. Look at that phrase, whose eyes I find favor. Now, um, any gamers in the room? Yeah, there are a few of you. Anybody played a video game? Let me just get that. Okay, now that's almost everyone. Um, confession. Uh, 
so I, I told you I don't like rules. I, what I, I really like cheat codes. Okay, you know what a cheat code is in a video game? You push like a few buttons, you move the lever a couple times, and all of a sudden it gives you something you shouldn't be able to have just because you knew the cheat code. Like all of a sudden your ammunition's full or your, your life is restored in the video game. Or my favorite, you get to skip a few levels. Okay? So this is going to date myself, but I, back in Nintendo days, my favorite cheat code was in Mike Tyson Punch-Out!! Okay, Ooh, I loved it. Or Mike Tyson knockout. Uh, there was a cheat code that you could get, you could leap all the way to fight Mike Tyson. Loved it. Do you know that there's a cheat code in the kingdom of heaven? There's a cheat code in, in the kingdom that will help you advance far beyond what you deserve in life, and it's called favor. Write down that word, favor. Uh, you, you need favor. The scripture actually says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. You want to grow in favor. I like to say the phrase, favor is not fair. Right? Favor gets you what you don't deserve, which is getting to move to the next level or being blessed beyond what you've earned. That's favor. I, I, I'm always praying for favor. I pray for favor for myself. I pray for favor for my wife. I pray for favor for my kids. I'm praying for favor for you. Um, Years ago, a mentor told me that he wanted me to read Billy Graham's biography, and it's 700 pages. So I was like, I really don't want to, to read that. And, but I, I, I honored him, and I read it. And here was the interesting thing about Billy Graham. Billy Graham will say, I wasn't the best preacher. And he'll say, I wasn't the greatest theologian. I wasn't the smartest person. I, I certainly didn't come from a, a great pedigree. I just came from the, the country. But what Billy Graham would end up saying, and what I noticed on his life is that he had favor. Like people just had favor on him. So uh, one of the first things that happened is a, a media guy for some reason just liked him and said, make a big deal out of Billy Graham. His exact word was Puff Graham. So he was having this little meeting and all of a sudden, William Randolph Hearst, the media guy, sent a reporter and said, make a big deal. All of a sudden, these massive crowds started showing up. And then he had favor with pastors and he had favor with city leaders. And what I saw was, wow, it was actually just God's hand on this ordinary pastor, he had extraordinary favor. So I started asking for that. And it was amazing the doors that started opening for me. I wanna encourage you, ask for favor. Because when favor is poured out on your life, do you know who gets the glory? It's God. Because you realize, I shouldn't be here, or I shouldn't get to do this, or this shouldn't have happened, so you give him all the glory. God loves pouring out his favor because he gets the glory, and then you get to just stand in awe of what God's doing. So that's what Naomi and Ruth were talking about. She said, I'm, I'm going to go, and it actually says this, I'm going to go behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. I want to encourage you, follow the favor. That's, that's rule number one, is follow the favor. Because here's what I find out. Sometimes we get so frustrated about what's not happening in life. Well, I want to be in the popular group, and they don't like you, and you just keep knocking, please let me in, please let me into your circle, or I want to be with this, this group, and that's not where the favor is. But God is going to open, as you live for him, he's going to open up people who have favor on you. And that's what he, Jesus even said about sharing the gospel. So many of us, we stop sharing the gospel because we get rejected. This is what Jesus said. He goes, if you go into a town and people accept you, stay with them. Hang out with them. Don't move. And if they reject you, then shake the dust off your feet. Right? So as we live for Jesus, your goal isn't to just try to crack into every group. Your goal is to see where God is opening up the door for you. 
and you go with that favor. And God's going to open up favor and relationships for you, favor and friendships. Ruth 2, let's keep moving. Verse 3, so he went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. This is rule number two. This is rule number two. So simple. Always talk about the Lord with your relationships. Just talk about the Lord wherever you go. And I'm not saying that you need to give a sermon every time you show up. You don't need to use Christianese. You know, you're a construction worker. You walk up to your guys you're about to work with. Hello, brethren, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? No. They'd be like, what are you talking about? That's weird and gross. No, I, I just like to say things like, man, God really blessed me today. Someone says, hey, how are you doing? God really blessed me today. Or someone shares something hard and you say, hey, I want to pray for God to help you. Just those simple ways of bringing God into conversations. What I found is it shifts the environment. It turns environments from discouragement to encouragement. It actually puts accountability on people. I find that I just start talking about God wherever I go. I'm not telling people I'm, I'm a pastor. I just, I just mention the Lord. But I find that people, they start, they start apologizing for cursing around me. You know, they're, I'm sorry. You know, I've, and they start coming to me in their time of need. Uh, I was talking to, to, to one of our uh, guys in our church this past week. He told this amazing story uh, about being willing to just stand up and talk about the Lord. He said that um, he was a, a new Marine, and his master sergeant just was cursing like crazy, just, just uh, would yell at, 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 at the people under him, and he was taking the Lord's name in vain. And one day he saw his master sergeant get in his car, and his license plate said, Ask Jesus. And then my friend in our church was like, oh, no, I've got to talk to him. Like, God's telling me I need to say something to him about the Lord. And so one day he goes up and he's like, Master Sergeant, can I talk to you? And he goes, yeah. And they go into his office and he sits down and he's like, what do you need? And this guy's like lowly on the, on, the, on the totem pole of his ranking. So he looks at his Master Sergeant and he says, Master Sergeant, I saw that you have asked Jesus on your license plate, but you're always cussing. And you're always taking the Lord's name in vain. And he said the master sergeant, who's 20 years older and much bigger, like puffed up and went, and he was like, I'm dead. Like, that's the end. I'm going to get court-martialed. I will no longer be a Marine. I'm probably. And he goes, and then he said he deflated and went, he goes, you're right. You'll never hear me talk like that again. What one man standing up and talking about Jesus and bring some accountability to a situation change. He said, because he would have never dreamed of this, but he and his master sergeant became great friends. They were 20 years apart. They became great friends. He said, this past week, they've started a Bible study. They had 35 Marines at the Bible study that they were leading together. You never know the power of keeping the name of the Lord on your lips. Just naturally and lovingly. Let's keep moving on. Verse 5, Boaz asked the, the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field, and she's remained here from morning all the way till now, except for just a short rest in in the shelter. So Boaz said to her, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Did you notice that? The first thing he said was, who's that woman? They say, she's a Moabite. But I love what Boaz ends up doing. It's a beautiful rejection of racism. Okay, do you remember what we talked about last week? That the Moabites were actually the enemies of the Israelites. They weren't supposed to interact. And, and their people group, the reason they weren't supposed to is they had treated the Israelites very bad. Like when the Israelites were in need, they had treated them very harshly. And so they had like made these rules about separating. And so when he says, who is that? They first say she's a Moabite, but then what you start seeing is the description of who she is and her character. And we start seeing, oh, she's a woman who served her mother-in-law. She's a woman who's, who's following the God of the Lord. And, and what does he do? This is rule number three. See the beautiful value of each person. See the value of each individual. He, he, he didn't see her through a racial bias. He honored her character and chose to not despise her because of her culture. That is what God is calling us all to do. That's what he's, he puts his Holy Spirit in us so we see the gold in each person and we want to draw near and, and have true, healthy, loving relationship. And keep going. Verse 9, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And this is rule number four. In order to have healthy relationships, we, we must create safe environments. So let me ask you, are you a safe person? Are you a safe person, brothers? Are you, are you safe emotionally? Are you safe physically to be around? Are you safe spiritually? Are you safe relationally? Are you safe financially for someone to be around? When people are around you, are they more protected or are they more vulnerable? Are, are they more taken care of or are they more depleted? We want to be safe people. We want to create this. Um, I, I was doing a wedding yesterday and we were reading from Ephesians 5. And you know, every man wants to be treated like Boaz. I mean, Ruth just honors him. But here's the, the way we get honored is if we are an honorable person. That's the way to get honored. Look, look what he did. He did three things for her. First of all, he says, hey, follow after, follow the path of my harvesters. Uh, husbands, let me just speak to you for a second. Are you making a path for your wife to succeed? Like, are you seeing her gifts and saying, honey, I want you to thrive. I want to set up. Parents, are we doing this for our children? Like, do we see their gifts and say, like, I want to make a way for you. Friends, do we do this for our other friends? Like, every way we can, we use our resources and our abilities and our strength to make a path for people to flourish. Uh, secondly, I love this. It, it says this. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Sweet Boaz all of a sudden becomes the rock, you know, and he's like, get back, right? He, all, all, all of a sudden, Boaz bows up, um, and he's like, men, step back, step back, because I'm going to protect this, this woman. Uh, husbands, again, are we protecting our wives? Uh, men, are we protecting women? Church, are we protecting People, parents, are we protecting our children every way we can? Friends, do we protect 
our friends? Do we stand up for people? This is what creates trust and healthy relationships. And then I love the last thing. He says, hey, and when you're thirsty, you can go get a drink here. He's even looking at the practical needs. And so I'm talking at this wedding yesterday. You know, in Ephesians 5, it says this, like, no, it's talking to husbands, and it's saying, lay down your life for your wife. And, and, and it says, husbands, you know, no one ever uh, abuses his body or doesn't look to the needs of his body, but nourishes it. Men, we are so good at knowing our needs, right? Like this afternoon, I'm going to go be like football, but you know, and, and then couch, and then I hungry. And, and, and we, we, but, but it's, it's harder to go like, what are my wife's needs? Or what, what do the people around me? I, I love that Boaz was attuned to the people around him. Here, here's a man who has servants, and yet he's thinking about the practical needs of this, this precious woman. Is that how we are, church? Let's be people that look to the needs of others. That is what Jesus did at this Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She's like, what? This is amazing. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This brings us to rule five. You will reap what you sow in relationships. He's like, I've, I've heard about what you've done. May God reward you. May God reward you. Why in a world where we look around and everyone's cheating, everyone seems to be out for their own interest, People are lying. They're just doing what feels good. They don't stay committed to relationships. Why, as the believers of Jesus, should we be any different? Like, it just seems like everyone should just do what they want. Why? It's because Scripture says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man, a woman, will reap what they sow. That God will reward you for what you have done. I heard another great story from one of my friends this week, it started months ago, but it really culminated this week. Months ago, um, my, my friend who's a teacher in a public uh, school had this principal who was put in, and, and this principal was really challenging for him because the principal was putting in all kinds of, of ideology and all kinds of philosophy and all kinds of even actions that were just really antithetical towards our Christian faith. So he was really struggling with that. One day the principal comes to him and says, we're having to make layoffs. We're having to, to make cuts in staffing, so I, I might have to let you go. And so he's so, you know, inside he's hurt and he's angry and he's like, Lord, help me respond right. And he said what came out of his mouth is he, he, he looked at the principal and he said, principal, I understand that you're under a lot of stress right now. I'm going to pray for God to help you. So he's told that he might be let go and he responds by saying, I'm going to pray for you that God will help you. He said the next week, the principal, the unbelieving principal, not a Christian, unbelieving principal comes and says, hey, you know how you told me that you were gonna pray for God to help me? Could, could we meet together and start talking more about God? So my friend and this unbelieving principal start meeting weekly 
to read the Bible, to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and then they start watching excerpts of the Chosen video. This, this last week he told me, well, I met with the principal for an hour and a half. So fast forward to, to, to the end of last week. My friend calls me, and he's in crisis. He says, um, I'm, I was enforcing the dress code in, 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 in our school, and a young student got upset with that. So he's, he's like trying to be righteous and enforce the, the dress code. A, a student tells a lie about him and says that he's doing inappropriate things. So total lie about him because she doesn't like that he's enforcing the dress code. She gets in the car with her friend's mother, and she says that lie about this teacher. And the mother, instead of investigating it, writes letters to the administration over that school about this teacher to get him fired. So my friend is so hurt. He's like, man, I'm, t- I'm trying to do things right and stand up for righteousness, and now this person's trying to get me fired. And so he's concerned, and we're just praying about it. And the principal comes to him and says this, hey, let me defend you. All of a sudden, the principal calls the mother and says, my teacher's a good man. He would never do that. I want you to come in and meet with me and that teacher. And so now the principal tells my friend, hey, I want you to meet with this woman. This woman who's like trying to get fired. He's like, I don't want to meet with that woman. And then my friend's freaking out because he's like, this principal has a history of not standing up for for his teacher, so he's like, should I get an attorney? Should I hire an attorney? Should I have an attorney in the meeting? And we pray, and we feel like, no, let, let God defend you. Like, God's doing something here. Let God defend you. Well, right before the meeting, the principal walks up to my friend, teacher, and says, can I give you a piece of advice? And he's like, oh, man. He goes, um, let me give you a piece of advice. You be quiet during this meeting. Let me be your lawyer. My friend's like, okay. The mother comes in. And the principal starts talking to the mother. And by the end of the meeting, the mother's just looking and going, I am so sorry. I was so wrong for doing that. I, I apologize. My friend's like, wow. Then she says, I'm going to write letters to all the people I wrote letters to, saying that I was wrong and apologizing and saying that you're a good teacher. Wow. They finish the meeting. He stands up and he's just kind of like, oh, my God. Gosh, he sticks out his hand, and the woman looks at him and goes, can I just give you a hug? So he's like being hugged by this woman who was accusing them. He calls me and says, I had something amazing happen. And I said, brother, you just saw immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. The Bible says you'll reap what you sow. That God, I love what the scripture says, it say, he, Boaz says to Ruth, may you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Friends, God is putting his arm over you. Draw near to him. He's the best defender. Let him fight for you in your workplaces, in your families, in your jobs, in your neighborhood, on your teams. God is the defender. It's under his big wing. He's wrapping you up. You're not alone. You might be being accused, but you keep responding right in the spirit. And God, he will vindicate you. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't speak up. Don't say something when you're, when you're mistreated. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you don't have to take vengeance. God is your defender. 
He is the one who will protect you. Ruth 2, 14 through 16. This is where we're going to come and land the plane. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over, and she got up to glean. Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves, and don't uh, reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. Rule number six, this is the last rule, depend on the grace of God to empower your relationships. I explained that the book of Ruth is prophetic of Jesus. Do you see the grace of God in this book? What did Boaz do? Here he is, a Jew. Uh, Let me just read you this one verse in Deuteronomy that's before the book of Ruth. It says this, No Ammonite or Moabite, which Ruth was, by the way, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the tenth generation, for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they even hired Balaam, son of Beor, to pronounce a curse on you. But what do you see Boaz doing? You see Boaz saying, I'm drawing you near. I'm drawing, you, I'm drawing you near, and, and he even pulls out, and you can take this in your hand right now, this communion cup, the, the bread and the wine, and what do you see him doing? It's prophetic. Every book points to Jesus. Every book of the Bible points to Jesus. And what do you see here? You see an allusion towards communion. Boaz, the king, kinsman redeemer, saying to Ruth, a, a destitute woman, from the wrong people that, that, that he's drawing near out of grace and saying, come near and share the bread and the wine with me. Share the bread and the wine. Lest you hear me wrong, I've, I'm, I'm talking about relational rules, but if you think, okay, I'm just gonna go out of here and do things perfectly, let me just tell you, that's not the message of the Bible. Yes, there's great instruction, but here's the other understanding that comes from the Bible is we'll never get it right. We'll never be perfect enough. And that's why we need grace. And that's what you're seeing in this story, is you're seeing the bread and the wine. What does the bread stand for? It stands for the broken body of Jesus. The scripture says this, that we all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. The Bible says this, well, we were all sinners, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why Jesus died. You can take the bread right now in your hand, and I want you to just look at it. And imagine that night before Jesus was crucified, he actually took bread in his hands, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take the bread and just break it. He said, this is my body broken for you for you. And then he said, take and eat in remembrance of me. Why? Because he wanted them to know this is more than just a religion. This is me being in you. This is me like living in you. If today you say, I want Jesus, I don't want to just follow a religion, but I want Jesus to live in me and empower me. And I need him to forgive me. Will you just take the bread and just eat it right now? 
then he took the cup. He's in the upper room with his best friends because he wasn't wearing a gold robe and behind some ornate thing. He was just at a, at a table sitting with his friends, ordinary people like me and you. And he held up a cup of wine and he said, this represents my blood. It was shed for you. It's the blood of the new covenant. And they understood that he was pointing back to the Old Testament where the blood, the blood of a sacrifice cleansed sins. And so he said, take and drink in remembrance of me. If you know that you're a sinner and you need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, would you just take it and drink it? And would you stand up with me? And would you close your eyes? When we eat the bread and when we drink from the cup, we're acknowledging that we can't make it on our own. We're acknowledging that we need a redeemer, just like Ruth needed a kinsman redeemer to pull her out of her desperate situation. We need a redeemer to pull us out of sin. But not just that, we need a redeemer to help us in life. This life is hard. We need someone bigger and stronger to come and fill us and give us grace to help us through this life. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are our redeemer. We thank you that you gave your body on the cross and your blood was shed to wash us clean. We give you our life today. And today, just while everyone has their eye closed, if you're just saying, hey, today I, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I'm not gonna point you out, but I wanna pray for you. Will you just wave at me real quick? You just say, I wanna commit my life to Jesus. Just all over this room, wave at me. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you so much. Anyone else? Just wave at me real quick. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Let's make sure I see you real quick. Thank you so much. Just pray, just the ones that raise their hand, just pray this with me. Just say, Jesus, forgive my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Listen, the Bible says if you called on the name of the Lord Jesus, you put your faith in him, you're saved. That's great news. He's with you forever. Prayer team, come forward right now. We want to pray for you today. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you're struggling in a relationship, maybe you need prayer for healing today. Maybe you're in a challenging place emotionally. Maybe you're the one that just gave your life to Jesus and you want someone to pray for you. Just come forward as we finish our time. Here, we'll sing one last song and then we'll be finished.
so glad you came this morning. College students, I want to remind you to head to Moniker Warehouse on Wednesday night, 7.30. I said 6.30 in the other services, so if you know any students, tell them I was wrong. 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Man, I was faithful to those services when I was a college student, and they changed my life. So I, I just want to really encourage you to be a part of what's happening throughout the week. Small group leaders, please sign up for small group training that's happening on October 2nd. We want you to be equipped to lead and shepherd and jump into a small group so that you can really talk about what God was speaking to you during this, this time and really talk about how to apply it throughout your week and stay accountable to it. So we're so thankful. We love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. We believe and hope that God encountered you in a radical way, and we want you to be able to take a next step as you walk with Jesus right where you are. So hey, go to the chat if you have a prayer request or you wanna ask a question. Our live stream host is there and ready to pray for you and connect with you. There's also many more resources and info on our YouTube channel, on our website, and on social media. So engage in those places as you take a step forward with God, and we can't wait to see you soon at our next gathering. God bless you. Lord.